Welcome to Builder Funnel Radio. Here you'll learn about how to grow your home building, remodeling, or contracting business. If you're not growing, you're moving backward. So we want you to always be in growth mode. This podcast has really turned into a movement and community of people who want to grow personally and professionally. Here we bring you some of the best marketing, sales, and business minds in the industry so you can elevate your business. All right, let's dive into the show. Hey, and welcome to Builder Funnel Radio. This is episode 145 with Eric Colfield with the Association of Professional Builders. And this is a great conversation. Eric's got a lot of expertise in the industry, has navigated various roles throughout his career. And now we find him with the Association of Professional Builders. And so in this conversation, we dive into really some strategy around websites, how you should be thinking about your website, what's working today, some common mistakes that he's seeing and how to correct those. So I think you'll get a lot out of today's conversation. Again, this is episode 145 with Eric Colfield. Hey, Eric, glad to have you on the show today. Hey, thanks, Spencer. Good to be here. Yeah, I'm excited for the conversation because we're going to dive into uh, dive into a topic that I love talking about, which is uh, making your website work for you. But uh, before we get too deep in the weeds, I guess maybe just share a little bit with our audience on you know how'd you get into this crazy world of construction? Well, a long, long time ago, 24 years ago or something like that, I was working for a company in Houston and they were owned by a company in Florida that provided products and services to home builders. I went back to Florida to do some business process work for them. And one thing and another, they needed some help with sales and some other things in terms of the products and services they were providing to builders, one of which was web development. This was back at the time when a virtual walkthrough was an extraordinary piece of functionality. <laughs> so a uh, long, long time ago. And so I, I had just kind of stayed in the industry since then. My dad had always wanted to be a builder. And like builders that you and I know, he could build anything, but you know, he had his own job and did other things. So he and I would, we'd build a doghouse and we'd, you know, build a shed and things like that. We did some volunteer work for some charities, building some things, but I really just always liked the industry. And even though he never became a formal home builder, I stayed in it some 24 years ago. That's awesome. Yeah, I know. I feel like it's this industry is very much that way. A lot of times family oriented and you kind of grow up in it a little bit and, you know, just a lot of good people in the industry, you know, down to earth uh, folks. So yeah, yep, that's awesome. So Share a little bit about what you're doing today. And then I want to kind of talk about, go back to the topic of websites and probably how they've evolved. But uh, yeah, what are you up to these days? So I've worked for large software companies in the industry. Ben, I also worked as a COO of a design build company as well. I've had sort of been on both sides of the desk, as it were. I had my own consulting company providing mostly business process and technology strategy to builders of all types and sizes focused heavily on software. And I was trying to put together a lot of content and resources, scripts, checklists, calculators, things like that for my customers. Long story made short, uh, Hurricane Harvey uh, flooded uh, my house and the kid's house. And even though I was doing okay as a consultant with my little one-man show, I said, you know, I have to recover from this. And so I had known Russ, the founder of uh, the Association of Professional Builders, for many, many years, over 10 years. 
And so I contacted uh, APB and we started talking and there was a need for the Association of Professional Builders who is rapidly expanding their team globally in five countries and growing rapidly to bring on what they were calling an executive business coach. And I said, that matches my skill set very well because I have been helping builders as a consultant. And there are some slight differences between a business coach and a consultant. But And APB already had all of the things, this vast content resource library of all of the things I had been wanting to put together for builders. So it seemed like such a natural fit. So I have uh, joined the Association of Professional Builders and mentoring businesses to help them run a more profitable, systemized business. And it's, it's just fantastic. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Well, let's uh, let's dive into one one small segment of you know the business life of a builder, and let's talk about websites a little bit. I know you mentioned you started started with some websites a long time ago. I mean, what have you seen in terms of the evolution of what a website used to be, and then what it should be today? Well, as you might imagine, twenty four years ago, most builders didn't have websites. Many of them would say, we don't need no stinking websites. <laughs> and um, so they didn't, they didn't understand the power of communication and marketing. And so what I have seen over the 24 years is, of course, if you're a builder, I, I personally don't know any builder that doesn't have a website. Uh, they certainly wouldn't be a professional builder that, uh, that I would be actively engaged with because it's, it's a basic thing that I think most builders would have. However, a lot of builders still come at the the activity of creating a website as more of a digital brochure. And I did a presentation at IBS last year about the same subject. And in that research, talking to a lot of builders, I realized that my suspicions were correct. And that is that builders don't view their website as the powerful business tool that it really, well, that it can be, that it is for many builders and that it should be really for all builders. So that's what I see is even though, yes, we've come a long way, builders now all have websites. Unfortunately, many of them have websites that don't resonate and they're not functioning like sort of like a a piece of artillery or a a, a piece of military equipment like they really should because you're doing battle with other builders Mm -hmm. and with society and with perspectives and so forth. And I would like to continue to raise the bar for builders so that they succeed in their marketing. And that website, like you mentioned, that website is one piece of an overall systemized uh, business. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's interesting to see that journey go from, yeah, no website. Okay, we're slapping up a brochure and it's got some photos and, you know, so we'll get to kind of what a, a website should look like today and, and everything. But what, what are some common mistakes that you see out there with builders aside from maybe just thinking of their website as a brochure? Yeah. So the biggest mistake is not leveraging the capacity of what the website could deliver. That's clearly the biggest mistake. And that could be because they don't know what they don't know, uh, or it, be, it could be because they are complacent in some way and and whatever success they're having is enough for them. The real common mistakes are creating a website that resonates with the owner of the company. And of course, every business has their own target types of clients. Mostly, very general statement, if I am the owner of a residential construction company, 
probably I'm more engineer-like and a, a certain type of person. And so they end up building websites that they like. They work with the company that builds websites and they say, this is what I want. Oh, yeah, I like that website. But they're not taking into consideration that the website isn't for them. <laughs> the website, if you like your website and your customers are very different than you are, you don't have the right website. So really, the biggest mistake is creating a website that you like, but that is not what the consumer customers that you have would like or resonate or engage with. That's the biggest mistake. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. It's a it's a good point because we always get caught up in our own stuff, you know, and we're like, "Oh, I I like this or I don't like this." And I always like to have that conversation around design too, which is it's super subjective, right? You know, it's you could like it, I could hate it, you know, at the end of the day what matters and you you said it, it's the customer and what what do they like, but maybe even more so can they get the information they want and those types yeah. of things? So, so you kind of talk about this concept of creating a battle-ready website. What does that mean? Battle-ready website. You mentioned perspective and a subjective evaluation. And just very quickly, uh, I was talking to my wife about um, meeting with you today and chatting and so forth and explaining the concept uh, to her. And she goes, yeah, it's just like when you buy a shirt, it's the ugliest shirt in the world. And I don't like it. I don't want to be seen with <laughs> you. And, and I say to her, but what's wrong with my shirt? I like the shirt. And she goes, you may like it, but I don't like it. And I'm thinking, well, then fine, you buy my shirts. Yep. <laughs> and that's on a very personal level. But expand that out to a multi-million dollar business when you have lots of risk and lots of liability and lots of potential benefit. Uh, so a battle-ready website is one that does battle with your competitors. And it's one that really operates more like a military base, if you will. If your website is more like a military base, it has content that I can, just like I can go on the base and get uh, groceries at the commissary, I can go to your website and get basic information. Great. But I can also get so much more. The, the purposes of the website are to move your business farther ahead. And it can only do that if that website functions in very simple ways. First, it has to get found. There's no point in having a website that's not built in such a way that it is going to be found organically when people search. If I go search for new homes, Decorah, Iowa, and you're a builder in Decorah, Iowa, your website better come up. So it has to get found. And then it has to engage. The second most critical thing that has to happen is your website has to engage me in some way. And consumers are impatient. You and I are consumers as well. You and I probably don't wait as long for things as, as some people. And so because consumers are impatient, when they come to the website, they need to be engaged right away. Because most consumers, and I think you and I and all of the people who own business uh, businesses, construction businesses, are the same way. We care about what is in it for us, right? I'm not coming to your website to date. I'm not coming to your website to just kill time and play a game. It's, this is not Tetris or Pac-Man or whatever. That's really dating myself. I'm coming to your website to get something. Your website must give me that something. So it has to get found. It has to engage. And then it has to convert. If it engages with me and I spend lots of time on your website and I have a great time, it's wonderful, and I bounce off without you getting my email address or my phone number or anything, then it, the whole thing's pointless, right? You've wasted your money as a builder 
And I've used my time to get whatever I thought was a fun time on your website, or maybe I was only there for 33 seconds and bounced off. And the whole thing is futile. So it has to get found, it has to engage, and then it must convert. There must be some reason I'm going to give you my email address. And there's a lot of ways that builders can engage with consumers. Of course, it depends if you're a high-end whole house remodeler, if you're a kitchen and bath remodeler, if you're a true design build custom builder. So depending upon the type of builder you are, there would be different ways to engage with your customers or your prospects at that point. If you were a whole house remodeler or a kitchen and bath remodeler, you would have certain ways that you would engage potential customers. If you were a custom builder, you'd have different ways. If you were a true design build custom builder, there'd be slight different nuances. And if you're a production builder, then of course you have different content to provide and different mechanisms to engage with consumers because the consumers that are coming to the website, well, hopefully they're coming to the website for the right reasons and your, your marketing is bringing the right people to the website and then they want different things. And you as the builder have to provide them with whatever those things are that they want. If you're a production builder, then of course I want to know if you have a three-bedroom, two-bath, one-story floor plan, or I want to know where you build, or I want to know your price points, or I want to know the amenities. But it's not just about your homes. This is the other aspect of websites. Builders are really short-sighted if they think that they provide construction services. Yeah, that may be part of what they provide, but they should be resources far beyond construction services. There's no reason I can't come to the builder's website and get information about the town that or the towns that they live in. Even if you build in 27 communities across four states, you could have content on your website about those communities, about those states that would engage me. And maybe I want to know about parks and school districts or whatever else that you can uh, put out there. Yeah. All kinds of ways that builders can keep those people on the website. The more they're on the website, the more they align and bond and the more familiar you are. Even if the consumer will spend, the difference is like minutes. If the consumer will spend even three or four minutes on your website, you're much more familiar with them or to them, I should say, you're much more familiar to them than the builder that they went to the website and bounced off of. That's great. So we got the get found, engage, and then we've got to convert. And uh, I'm glad you talked about the content piece a little bit there, even just talking about the the area, the city, the town, the activities. Uh, we have a, a builder we've worked with up in the Poconos area for about nine years now. And, and we create a lot of content around the best hikes, the best lakes in the area. They're booked up for two years, you know, because they're because they're thinking broader, and I think that's a fantastic example. Let's jump back to the the get found section for for a minute because I think this is one of the bigger areas that people struggle with is they they think about their website and they go, okay, I get it up there. Now you're just kind of in the game, and now you now you can be found. But I think a lot of people kind of stop there, or they just kind of update a few photos here and there and change out some text. So. What are some of the key things that people should be working on to actually drive people to the site rather than just kind of hoping they arrive? Yeah, to get found, to actually get found. Yeah. So one thing that's always funny to me is the builder will go search for things that they know are on their website. 
Like, um, I want to be the only builder that has a portico. Okay. And so they search for portico, but your consumers may never search for portico. Right. When you do your portico search, you come up way high. See there, I'm high up on my search engine. Yeah, but your consumers aren't searching for that. So they don't do enough research to figure out what would my consumers search for? Probably they'd search for new homes, Topeka, Kansas, or custom homes, Santa Fe, New Mexico, or whatever, the, the things that they would search for. Builders would do well to do a little bit more digging in terms of how they think their clients would actually really start their search. Because you and I, I think most builders get it now, a vast majority, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's 80 or 90% of people start their search online. And really, when you think about the psychology of it, people are looking for a way to disqualify the builder before they look for a way to qualify the builder. So if I go look for new homes, I'll just pick on Houston because I live in, in the woodlands here. So if I go look at new homes, woodlands, Texas, I get a whole bunch of stuff. I don't have the capacity to go through 12 pages of search results, right? So I'm going to look at something that gravitates towards me or that resonates with me, I should say. And so they start minimizing the, the intent right away. They're not going to go to 37 builders' websites and start looking around. And so they go to a website, it's not very good, or it loads really slow, or they don't like the picture, or whatever. They don't like it. They're off. They're gone. And they almost never go back there. So now they've got a short list. Maybe it's five, six, seven builders that they're looking at. They're continuing to disqualify because the consumer doesn't have a vast amount of content to choose from. It's not like they have a checklist. Okay, do they have a photo? Yes. Okay, do they have a cover photo? Yes. Do they have this? They're not doing that. It's all gut and, and reaction. So builders would do well to really understand what their typical client wants to see and wants to get from their website from the very first page. Of course, your website has to load fast because consumers are impatient. Of course, it needs to have photos. And it's not a dating site, but I'm still a human being. So I still want to see, you know, like what you or your team or something looks like. A lot of builders just have, here's a picture of this house. Here's a picture of this house. Here's a picture of that house. It's not enough. It's not enough to have a gallery of what you might have built. That's just not enough anymore. We as consumers are really trying to make a connection with that builder. The only way we are going to go forward and give you our information, our, our name and our email address, is if we feel comfortable enough with you to do that. And that's not going to happen if you've got junky renderings and stick drawings and bad photos and all this other kind of stuff. So builders really need to focus on what they feel and know are going to what what are those things that are going to resonate with their prospective buyers. Hey guys, I know that if you listen to Builder Funnel Radio, you are hyper aware of the fact that the way people shop and buy, it's changed dramatically over the years. And for the last 10 years, really since I started doing all this, helping my uncle's remodeling division scale up from about 2 million to 10 million, 
We've been helping remodelers and builders and contractors all over the country really refine their marketing systems. And I recently decided to kind of bottle all of that up into my first book. And that book is called The Remodeler Marketing Blueprint. And you can pick up a copy by going to the website, remodelermarketingblueprint.com. You can also search for it on Amazon or wherever books are sold online. But I highly recommend you go over to the website because we've got some cool book bonuses that go along with that if you pick up a few extra copies for your friends and colleagues or your teammates. So it would mean a lot to me if you've been listening to this podcast for a while or even just a few episodes, if you've ever gotten any value out of it, head over to remodelermarketingblueprint.com and snag your copy today. All right, let's get back to the show. Kind of goes back to just some of those core marketing principles, which is, you know, you got to know your target audience and, and what they're interested in. So, yeah. Are there certain types of, you know, content that you're seeing today that that work really well to help get builders found? You know, you kind of mentioned, you know, talking about areas or towns, but are there some other things that come top of mind? Well, not to get too technical, and I'm not actually that kind of a technical person. You might be, but I'm not. There's all kinds of keywords and search strings and things that you can do in the way you craft and build the website from the beginning to so that it gets found more easily as people are searching for things. And on that note, this is one of the big mistakes that I feel builders do and many companies do. They go to a web development company or maybe it's somebody they know, you know, and they feel comfortable with them. And no doubt that company can build the website. But if that company is not really industry specific and that company doesn't have builder customers already, and you as the builder are going to be their first guinea pig builder, what you as the builder are doing is you're handing over one of your biggest potential revenue generating machines to a company that does not know your journey as a builder. They don't know what you go through on a day-to-day basis, and they don't really know how consumers engage with builders. So if you ask a web development company, should I have interactive floor plans on my website? They'll say, yeah, because in their mind, they'll think, yeah, I can, we can charge you more money for that. So that's a good one. You'll have that. But if they don't know, what's the benefit to an interactive floor plan? If they don't really understand how consumers engage with builders, then the builder is risking money. They, they're sort of, I think, not paying attention to the larger picture. This website is, can be the difference, and I've seen it over and over again. It can be the difference between your company being a $2 million company or a $20 million company or beyond, right? The larger builders. And so it is a very big deal, and builders don't spend enough time doing the research, not only in terms of what the website should have and, and what it should do, but also, who's going to do it for me? Is it going to be my high school next door neighbor? I mean, hopefully not. <laughs> is it going to be this web development company who's got lots of animation and has a really fancy site and big name customers? If the big name customers aren't builders, even if they're B2C or B2B, does it matter? Does it matter if you're going with a company who has a blow away, brilliant website, gigantic media company of the Northern Hemisphere? We do everything well. If you don't know how I engage with consumers, I don't want to be the guinea pig. I don't want to teach you how consumers work with builders. So I think it's short-sighted for builders to go with providers who don't know their industry. And that goes way beyond web development. That's 
sales education. That's all kinds of things that builders probably could do a better job and get better results if they would go with somebody who really knows their industry. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, let's uh, let's shift gears a little bit to a question that that I'm hearing a lot about, or just a challenge that's coming up right now, which is uh, the quantity of lead flow right now. You know, it's just demand is super high. How does the website work in any of these phases, whether it's get found or engage or convert, to kind of weed out some of the you know junk leads, so to speak? Because I think uh, I, I hear that term a lot. You know, the internet provides a lot of junk leads. So what would you say to, to a builder that's kind of got that mentality? Yeah, it's always funny. So when I worked for software companies and I could see in the back end whether the salespeople were actually following up on the leads, it was always funny that the builder says, we're not getting enough leads. They're not good enough leads. Like, well, how would you know they're not good enough leads? Because your salespeople never called them. They didn't even email them. <laughs> or they called them one time. And, you know, when they say, no, 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 our, our salespeople are great. Mm, no, I, I'll show you that your salespeople are really waiting for the highly qualified people, the ones that are going to walk in. And that's great. And most salespeople are very interactive, very communicative, very person-oriented. So, of course, they want people to walk into what would be a model home for production builders. But it, it it's always funny that builders don't do the research and the analysis. How many leads am I getting? Did I follow up on those leads? Because I don't know if they're any good or not if we didn't even follow up on them. And if we followed up on them, what's the metrics? Did we follow up on them two or three times? How many converted? What what does that pipeline, that funnel really look like? If they have the metric, they say, okay, these 100 leads came in. We didn't do a good job following up on them. We followed up on 50. And of those 50, we had 10 appointments. And of those 10 appointments, five became a proposal of some kind and we closed three of them. I said, great. So then you close three deals on a hundred leads. If you want to close nine deals, then you need 300 leads, right? Right. But what if you just changed your processes so that you could uh, squeeze more juice out of the turnip? What if you said, hey, those hundred leads, I don't even know if they were good leads or not. I don't know where they came from. I don't know if, did I pay too much for them? Are they good leads or bad leads? I don't know. So it's it's just funny that builders say, I need more leads, I need more leads, I need more leads. What you need are more qualified leads. And that is true whether you run an ice cream shop or a dentist or a car dealership or whatever else. It doesn't really do you much good to throw all this money out there and say, well, now I got 5,000 leads. If they're all junk or if you're not going to follow up with them, if if the formula that you're using isn't right, then you're not spending money efficiently. So my my suggestion to builders is figure out where you are right now. How many leads are coming in? What are their sources? What are you paying for them? Are you qualifying them? Are you working them in accordance with whatever process that you have going? And uh, what's, what's working? What are you doing well? And then back that up and say, okay, here's what we're doing well. Here's what we need to do better. And how do we get better leads at the very beginning? Because I'd rather have five leads that are going to convert than 500 leads that are going to waste my time that I got to go deal with and that aren't going to go anywhere, right? So Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes makes a lot of sense. And I think you're right. You know, I think from my perspective, I think where a lot of the confusion or just, I don't know, perception of some of these leads that, you know, oh, I'm getting a bunch of junk is that a lot of times they are coming and maybe they're, 
downloading something or, you know, filling out a form where it's like, they may not actually be at the right stage. They may not be at the buying stage yet. And so we associate with, hey, they came to my website, I have their info, but nothing's happening. Like they haven't booked a meeting, whether you follow up or not, you know? And so I think there's a, just a misunderstanding of where that person is in the actual buying cycle. But maybe you can speak to that a little bit. And then I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts around that conversion piece and how to, how do we start doing a better job on our websites to actually start capturing names and emails? Yeah, so I wrote a bunch of follow-up plans for for builders uh, that they could then edit and create on their own. Because one of the things that's very difficult for builders, regardless of their size, certainly if you're a custom builder and a modeler, it's harder for you because you don't have the resources that the gigantic builder does. But writing the follow-up emails in the first place. So if a web lead comes in, they get email number one on day such and such, email number two on day such and such. And here's what these emails say. And then if they come on site, okay, now we switch the status and they get a different email and a different email. Oh, okay. And now if they come back a second time, well, that's a different status, different status, different email. All of this automated follow-up plan is the salesperson's biggest friend because we don't really know what the sales cycle is. And if you as the builder have a series of automated emails that are going out it's not costing you not one penny more really to send emails for three years than it is to send them for two years or one year. So you're right. If, they, if they're looking at their formula, remember I said get the formula right. If they're looking at the formula and saying, well, these leads came in a month ago and they haven't converted. So did they say, leave me alone? Did they say unsubscribe? Did they say, I will kill you if you email me again? No, keep emailing them, right? If they haven't opted out, they opted in, you keep emailing them until they opt out or until you really feel like, hey, I'm, I'm not willing to do more than a three-year follow-up plan because it costs you nothing. Why wouldn't you email someone 180 days from now? If they didn't opt out and they're opening some of your emails, why would you stop? It just goes and goes and goes. So your database grows and gets bigger. We're not asking the salespeople to call the lead every week and say, hey, what about now? What about now? What about now? We're asking the system to do its job, which is to stay in touch. Because you did the heavy lifting of getting a website. You did the heavy lifting of getting found. You did the heavy lifting of engaging. Then you did the heavy lifting of converting them. Now they're a lead. Why would you throw that away until they themselves say, you got to stop contacting me? Okay. And if they do, then, then you do, of course. So the way the builders need to do that is with automated follow-up campaigns and there are companies that uh, provide templates. And uh, if you're not with a company that provides templates, then I guess they should talk to you and I because we know the ones to do. It's really misguided to email somebody two or three times and if, eh, if they don't respond, they're out. That, yep. that is so, such a bad decision. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny how, you know, we think about, I, I don't know, you always, if you just flip it and think about how you, you, buy something. And if it's a big purchase or a big decision, a lot of times that journey is multiple months and sometimes multiple years. And so, yeah, I hundred percent agree with you. You know, we, I don't know where I heard this saying, but somebody said, yep, just keep them on the list. Keep emailing them until they buy, die or unsubscribe. <laughs> so you know. all you have to do is look at our personal lives to know that it works. Obviously I don't know you to this extent, but I know my own wife 
And I see that she gets emails from store A and store B. And, and so if I've been married many decades, so I, I would never ask this question now. But as a young couple, I might say, why do you get so many emails from store A? You never go there. Well, my wife's response would be, well, but every six or seven months when I want their coupon, then I'm ready to go. And yep. sure enough, every six or seven months, she keeps getting the emails. And when it's the right time for her, her to go buy something and that email comes up with her, whatever 20% coupon, whatever she's doing, then she goes to the store and she spends money. Why would that store stop emailing her ever <laughs> unless she buys, dies or unsubscribes, right? And you even got it. Buys, well, in, in terms of home builders, one of the things that they do actually make a mistake with is once you buy a house, they stop emailing you. That's silly. Why would you stop emailing your customer? Because you want to hand them the keys, do the handover and like never talk to them again. You should be building houses that you're proud of and that you are willing to stay engaged with. And not only are there referrals to, to be made, but the ability to stay in communication after the sale not only reduces your labor burden for people uh, in your company, it also reduces warranty calls. And so there's an actual cost that you save by staying in touch with people and telling them, here's how to wrap your pipes in the winter, or here's how to take care of lawn maintenance uh, now that uh, it's no longer uh, snowing or whatever. So builders would do a better job if they would stay engaged long-term, and that is even after the sale. And then you, the builders, I have seen builders get referrals. So I know it's not a unicorn. I know a lot of builders think, no, we don't get referrals. Well, if you're a builder and you don't get any referrals, then there's a learning opportunity for you in terms of how you run your business because other builders are getting referrals and there's no reason you shouldn't be either. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. No, that's good stuff, Eric. Well, I've got one last segment of the show that we'll get to here in a second. But before we do that, if people want to learn more about uh, you or APB, like what's the best way to connect with you guys or learn more? Yeah. Well, so it's the Association of Professional Builders and they can just, well, they can Google Association of Professional Builders. It's headquartered in Brisbane, but the US happens to be our biggest market. We have worked with 2,000 builders over 10 years or something like that. And we're in five countries. It's called The APB. And the website is apbbuilders.com, apbbuilders.com. And just being a regular member of APB has a tremendous amount of resources and content and value for builders who want to run a more profitable, systemized business. There's all kinds of courses and checklists and templates and all kinds of content for them. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. And I would definitely encourage you guys to check that out. We'll put the link in the show notes for you as well. Eric, the last segment is called the fast five. So I'm going to hit you with five rapid fire questions and uh, just say whatever comes to mind. So first one is a favorite business book and why? Seven Habits of Highly Effective People because it really resonated with me. And uh, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that's it's a classic, but it's a classic for a reason, right? <laughs> the is atomic habits. Atomic habits. Mm. Small small one. changes make big. Uh, small changes have big impact. Yeah, James Clear, right? Yeah, cool. All right. Uh, next question is: Who is the most inspirational person in your life? Living or dead? Doesn't matter. Up to you. That is a hard one. I guess my dad. Yeah, my dad. That's awesome. All right. If you could have one superpower, what would that be? 
I, I want to say uh, mental telepathy to read people's mind, but I'm afraid that I would go crazy reading people's mind. <laughs> so I won't say that one. I feel uh, like that's a classic uh, salesperson answer. You know, it's like yeah, yeah. <laughs> getting the mind. Yeah, I'm not in sales, but still. So I guess my superpower would be to resolve conflict. Mm, that's a good one. Describe yourself in three words. Autodidact polymath. Male autodidact polymath. Dang, you were ready for that one. <laughs> my sister just called me that. Well, it's actually, I guess, true. That's I, I had to look it up, but you know. Well, I'm going to have to after the show too. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Final question is, if you could leave our listeners with one piece of advice, what would that be? Don't settle. You can do better. Awesome. Awesome. Well, cool. Eric, thanks so much for joining me today. This was awesome. Yeah. Well, my pleasure, Spencer. Always, uh, always fun to talk with you and uh, look forward to chatting with you anytime. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed that one with Eric. As always, let's pull out some takeaways. So as we were talking, definitely lots of good stuff in there. But a couple of things that really came to mind for me as good actionable takeaways is really uh, rethinking your website and rethinking it from the start. You probably already have one, but looking at it through that lens of, is this battle ready? And I like that language that he uses and talks about in terms of the website. You know, Is it working for you? Is it working for you to get found? Is it actually engaging people? Are they clicking around? Are they finding information that they're looking for? Because if they don't find it on your site, they're going to find it somewhere else. And then the critical piece, is it converting? Is it capturing? Is it grabbing a name and an email so that you can follow up? And that was really the takeaway number two that I wanted to highlight, which is that last part of the conversation where he was talking about those really extended follow-up plans. And you can automate those today. You know, there's technology that does that. And um, you can either write all the templates out or you can find somebody to help you with that. But really, you should be finding some way to nurture people that have come to your site, engaged with you, and have not clicked unsubscribe. You know, if they haven't, they're still engaging. And you can see very easily who's opening, who's clicking. If people are engaging with you, even if they're just opening and clicking once a quarter, every other month or something like that, you know they're probably sitting there in the background, still researching, still thinking about it, and just they could be an amazing customer. The timing isn't right yet. And that's that's what we'll really never know until they resurface and enter a sales conversation. So really liked what Eric was talking about there with having really extended follow-up plans and not basically ignoring those people that are on your list. Those are, are great qualified prospects until they unsubscribe and show themselves out. So don't forget to think about that strategy as you're moving forward and capturing leads on your website. All right, guys, that's what I got for you today. We will see you next time here on Builder Funnel Radio. Thanks again for listening, everybody. And as a quick reminder, text radio to 33777 for some free goodies as a thank you for listening to the show. And if you got some value from today's episode, I just ask that you leave us a quick review on iTunes. It really helps us spread the word and grow this awesome community of people who are working to improve their lives and their businesses. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on Builder Funnel Radio.